how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Exodus chapter 20, um, verses 1 to 17. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, your servant, your cattle, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is your neighbour's. Amen. Stephen, would you like to come up here and I will pray for you? Father God, we do thank you for Stephen, for the words you've laid upon his heart to bring to this congregation this morning. We pray you will anoint him with your Holy Spirit um, as he brings those words and that they will alight upon our ears and as we hear them that they, that they will um, speak to us afresh if they've heard them before. Lord, may you give everyone here fresh revelations. May your anointing be truly beyond Stephen as he brings these words so that those revelations are clear to all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, everyone. Um, well, hopefully, I'm kind of like a familiar face to most of you at Forest Hill. Last time I was here, though, I, it was Christmas Day, and I was dressed as an elf, so it may be a little bit like you're wondering, is that the elf from Christmas Day? Yes, it is me. Um, but if you've never met me before, um, I'm Stephen. I lead the congregation New Life down in Greenwich, and um, it's wonderful to be uh, with you this morning. And I thought I would start my time with a little bit of news um, that's very important um, this morning, and it is that um, I'm sure you will um, know that actually preachers these days have come under a lot of um, fire and criticism because of the use of electronic gadgets um, during their preachers. Have you noticed that? People are kind of using their laptops and all the rest of it. But actually, I was thinking that Moses this morning probably didn't um, really worry about that because he did most of his sermons on two tablets. 
Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see where this is going. But, you know, but I was even thinking, even more than that, actually, um, Moses, when his tablets did break, um, he wasn't really that worried because he just said, let's go up, back up the cloud. Do you get that one? You say, ah, oh, these aren't my jokes, okay. Um, they're giggles. Um, but you know what? I just thought I would flip in a few of the jokes at the start because this kind of whole uh, concept this morning of thinking about the Ten Commandments can be quite heavy, can't it, when we start to think about the commandments. I grew up in Belfast, and so I'm very used to heavy preachers. Um, it's the kind of preachers that you go to, and then at the end of them, you kind of really do feel like somebody has hit you with like a tablet of stone on a way out. Those kind of preachers, but hopefully that will not be your experience this morning, because we want to think a little bit about how we apply the Ten Commandments into our lives as followers of Jesus. And so we're going to particularly look at it through this um, one verse coming up. It's a verse that um, Roger, um, in his kind of exposition on the Ten Commandments, uh, I find very helpful. And so I'm going to read out this verse from Psalm 40, and hopefully it will start to open up how we interpret and think through and apply the Ten Commandments into our lives as followers of Jesus. So it says in Psalm 40 that, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Your commandments are within my heart. And I think this verse can be applied um, to the heart of Jesus, that this was kind of the heart of Jesus whenever he was living out his life on the earth. That the Ten Commandments and the law, they were living in his heart. They had a place in his heart. And as he sought to do the will of his Father, he found delight and pleasure. And so the Ten Commandments are there inside Christ's heart. And therefore, for those of us, all of us here this morning that are following Jesus, seeking to cause delight um, and affection to be roused in our hearts as we follow Christ and make him our primary number one aim in our lives, we will find that actually as we seek God's heart, we will bump into the Ten Commandments because they are there inside the heart of God. So if we seek God's heart and we seek his will for our lives, we seek how he wants us to live in this world, we will find that the Ten Commandments are there in God's heart. They're not the full, the full expression of God's heart, but they're there in his heart. And as we interact with Jesus and ask him questions about our life, seek guidance and wisdom of directions of where to go, the Ten Commandments are there as ways to help us to navigate the Christian life. And then there's one other verse that I just wanted to share as well. This is um, from Hebrews, and this is a really helpful one for our lives, particularly regarding the Ten Commandments. This is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. There's a typo there. I will write them on their hearts. And this whole idea is that the Ten Commandments get written inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we find that God is writing His commandments and His goodness into our lives. They're not coming as harsh tablets of stone, but they're coming as that kind of letter of love that the Holy Spirit is writing into and around our lives. And I think using those two verses as a way into the Ten Commandments is going to be really helpful for us this morning it will save us from just going down the route, which is that these Ten Commandments are here to destroy me, to kind of flatten me, to condemn me, and I'm just going to leave here completely um, out of sorts and kind of completely defeated in my Christian life. But actually, if we think about it in these terms, that the Lord is wanting us to follow His will, delight in Him, 
and to uncover how the Ten Commandments are applied to Christ's life, and then they can apply, be applied and written into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we're going to go uh, really far. And this uh, word covenant that appears in the Hebrews verse there um, is a really useful one for us to also try to understand this section of Exodus. Um, chapter 20 kind of opens up a little mini book in the book of Exodus, from Exodus 20 to 23. This is called the Book of the Covenant. And within these three chapters, um, you will find loads and loads of kind of statutes and instructions and statements of what it means to live out the Christian life. And of course, these ten come at the very start, and they are some of the most important that we have here. And so this morning, as we think about the Ten Commandments, I want us to give an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to minister His love and His power and His authority into our lives as I go through some of them. Because these commandments um, help us to understand what righteous living looks like. And alternatively, what it means to live unrighteously in this world. We can understand really clearly through the Holy Spirit working through these Ten Commandments. And I'm just going to flick to the next one, if that's all right. Um, I want to just, hopefully you can kind of see the last word there. Um, I want to think a little bit about these Ten Commandments. I'm going to to group some of them together under this whole idea of how some of these commandments think about um, taking things that don't belong to us. So we've got got those four, yeah. That'll, that'll work. Um, so we've got, of course, the four very famous ones about not stealing, not murdering, not committing adultery, and then not coveting, which is the last one. And um, I want us to think a little bit about this, this thread that runs through a lot of the Ten Commandments, which is all about taking what doesn't belong to us. There's a, there's a strong theme that goes through these, uh, these commandments. And then the tenth one, coveting, it kind of makes it a little bit more explicit because it talks about um, taking property from others, talks about taking relationships and family and finances and belongings from other people. And then it starts to uh, internalize the Ten Commandments. So that coveting, uh, ten com- Tenth Commandment, starts to kind of apply it inwardly, starts to think about what's going on inside of us, our motives and our motivations. And I've been thinking a lot about sometimes why we feel the need to grab something that doesn't belong to us. Why do we, what is going on inside of our hearts and our minds that causes us to sometimes want to take hold of something that doesn't belong to us? Um, Jesus talked about um, some of these commandments um, in, his, uh, in the story of the rich young ruler in the New Testament. And the story of the rich young ruler is a very famous one. It talks about how the rich young ruler says, you know, I have kept all these commandments from from youth, Jesus. You know, this is the kind of life that I've been leading. And then the very famous statement that Jesus makes back in return is he says, well then, can you sell all your possessions and give to the poor? And then you shall have treasure in heaven. Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And the rich young ruler at this point in his life uh, leaves very sad because he's very deeply, deeply challenged by the words of Jesus. And so what's going on in the the heart of the rich young ruler is that he's kept a lot of them, but there's one that he hasn't been keeping. And this is a commandment that Jesus doesn't actually explicitly say, and it's that whole idea of coveting and of taking hold of something that doesn't belong to you. 
And that is what is grieving uh, this uh, rich young ruler so much, is that um, Jesus doesn't actually mention it explicitly, but by saying, go and sell all your possessions, he's kind of getting right into the heart of the matter. And so the rich young ruler's heart is being exposed in a very public way. And he suddenly realizes that this challenge that Jesus is making to him about selling all his possessions, it is kind of cutting into his heart. And it's kind of cutting through all the uh, motivations and thought processes that are going into his mind that is causing him to kind of be internally coveting things. But you may wonder, why would a rich young ruler, why would he have coveting in his heart? He's rich, and he's young, and he's some kind of ruler. So he's got a lot going for him, hasn't he? He must have some kind of authority or position to be a ruler. He's obviously rich, he's got money, and obviously he's young, so he's got you know, his life ahead of him. He's got lots to do, lots of possibilities, lots of options. Why would he somehow think that he's bereft and kind of devoid of something internally? What was going on inside of him? And we can probably only kind of guess and reflect and imagine. But it helps us to understand our own lives, doesn't it? It helps us to understand, well, what are the, why are the reasons why I sometimes find that I need to grab something that somebody else has? What is going on really within me? I might have a lot of finances. I might have a lot of position and authority and blessing in my life. But what is it? What is the internal need that was going on that sometimes makes me feel like I need to grab hold of something? And... Um, We don't know what happened to the rich young ruler after that. We hope, don't we, that he turned to the Lord and returned to him and confessed his sin and said, Lord, I really want to change this area of my life. I want to get back on track with you. And um, I was thinking that that is such a beautiful response. And I don't know if you've ever um, made that response yourself or you've had other people kind of interact with you and they've been so honest with their own lives and said, actually, this is going wrong with me and I need to really change it. Um, I was thinking of a a lovely lady in our congregation who's um, very recently returned to New Life. And um, sadly, she um, she left New Life maybe um, eight or nine years ago. And some other people had left, and they were kind of not really wanting to be at New Life anymore. And she kind of just got sucked along with them. And she didn't really have anything against us, but she kind of just meandered out of the way. And she kind of lost track with us. And then we didn't see her for years and years And then just wonderfully, um, just at the end of last year, um, she returned um, to the congregation. And um, I remember just taking a a car trip with her in the the last few weeks. And and she was just so enjoying being back in the presence of God's people. And you could tell that the Holy Spirit was starting to get into her life in wonderful ways. And she just said to me, you know, Stephen, I really need to know, I need to stop the cigarettes and I need to stop the gambling, is what she said to me. And it just really touched my life because she was just so honest about her life. She hadn't led a particularly easy life, a very difficult life with her children. Um, She had lost her partner in a really tragic way um, a few years earlier on in her life. And she had obviously turned to these things because there was a deep need um, within her. But she was saying that she wanted to change. And it just really broke my heart at that point because I thought she really does want Jesus. She really wants the Holy Spirit. And she's not really saying so much, I'm a victim, look what's happened to me. She's not really saying that. What she's saying is, I want to take responsibility for my life. I want to get free from these things. And I was deeply, deeply moved by her. And perhaps the rich young ruler, you know, made a kind of a confession like this lady that I'm talking about later on in his life. But I was thinking, you know, about the times where people have come to me and they've kind of confessed in different areas of their life where they've kind of um, transgressed at some of these Ten Commandments. And I was remembering 
maybe five or six years ago, that kind of, maybe in the spate of like three or four weeks, a number of men came to me in the congregation. Um, I wasn't leading at the time, but they all came and talked to me about different kind of sexual sins that they were involved with and things that were really dragging them down. And for some of them, it was the very first time that they'd talked about any of this stuff. Any of, they'd really never talked about the fact that pornography was a big part of their lives. And they opened up to me. And again, I felt actually that the Lord really has got so much compassion for you at this point in your life. You're really wanting to be open and honest. You're wanting to move forward in your Christian life. And the Lord, therefore, is with you. And it's wonderful to say, as I kind of think about where those uh, men are now in their lives, all of them are freed from those kind of sins that they're confessing. All of them, some of them are married. Some of them have got children. Some of them are leading completely wonderful, very, very different lives from they were many, many years back then. But they really took the challenge up to confess and to get rid of some of those internal things that were going wrong with them. And just like with um, sins regarding adultery and sexual sin, actually the Lord wants to kind of get to the heart motivation of why it's going on. Just like the whole, whole idea of coveting and taking what doesn't belong to you. The Lord wants to get to the motivation. He doesn't want to just slam you down with a commandment, like a stone tablet hitting the back of your head. He wants to get into your heart and help his Holy Spirit to get in there so he can work out why those motivations have gone wrong, what is going wrong, so that he can start to release healing and strength and blessing. And I don't know if the next thing is going to work. Oh yeah, it is. So hopefully you can see that. I was thinking, I'll read them out in a second, but I'll explain what those things are in a minute. Um, I was thinking that sometimes the reason that, particularly with coveting and desiring things that the Lord hasn't given us, sometimes the reason that we go towards that is because inwardly there's like a narrative or a conversation and sometimes a lie that the enemy is sewn in about who we are that actually is kind of playing itself out in our minds. And I just put three kind of in kind of quotation marks. I put three sometimes narratives that run in our mind that sometimes mean that we do feel the need and the urge to covet. So um, the first one is um, sometimes we do think in our lives that sooner or later things are going to run out for me. So, you know, I've had a good run, but sooner or later, things are going to dry up. Sooner or later, things are going to go all completely wrong. So that's why sometimes I need to hoard and gather and grab as much as I can and store it up in my storehouses internally because we just never know what's going to happen. Sometimes there's a fear that runs through us that that will happen to our lives or to our families. And then that whole idea kind of running with that uh, take what you can get. Some of us kind of just feel, I'm going to just take the opportunity. If I can see something, let me grab it because perhaps I haven't had all those opportunities in my life. I haven't had opportunities to grab things and take hold of them because of what I've gone through. But why don't I just take the opportunity where I can, when I can, to grab what I need. And then the third one, which I think is kind of the most deepest one, is that some of us sometimes feel on a deep level that I am not enough. It's not just that I don't have enough, but there's something that says within me, I am not enough. And some of us feel that for loads of different reasons in our lives, that I'm just not enough. It's not just that the things I have aren't enough, but deeply within me, I have a belief that I'm just not enough as a person. And the Lord wants to meet us when we feel and experience those kind of things in our lives, because he is our enough, isn't he? For every single one of us, for every single one of us in the room, Jesus is enough, and he gives us all that we need. He is enough, and he can give us everything that we desire and need in our lives. 
And so that's why this whole um, thread of coveting is so important to address and consider for all of us in our lives. Not just for those of us who may have stolen things physically in our lives, but for all of us, we sometimes can, in church life, kind of develop like a coveting of other people. And sometimes that isn't just about the things that they have. It's something about who they are that we somehow are coveting in the wrong way. And sometimes that kind of idea of spiritual coveting and spiritual desiring, something that somebody else has, can play a real part in Christian life. And actually it can hinder us from really kind of getting into body life and really developing the kind of friendships and fellowship that the Lord wants us to have as a body. And I think that idea of spiritual coveting is something that actually the Lord wants to really make sure that isn't creeping into our lives. How do we recognize the signs of spiritual coveting in our lives? Well, it's, it's all about the way that we see church life and how it relates to us. So, for example, um, if we feel the tendency in our lives to always want to grab the attention for ourselves, always want to make sure that there's always like a focus on me and my needs, even when sometimes it's just not necessary, we can kind of feel that actually we need to draw something spiritually, um, not in the right way. And of course, we know that in church life, the Lord is always wanting to use the relationships around us to, to bless us and to support us and to encourage us and to bring healing. That is what relationships are all about. But actually, sometimes we, we see them all just about centered about us and what we can kind of grab from them and what we can take from them to satisfy something internally. But actually, the Lord doesn't want us to have those kind of relationships. They don't really function right in the body. They're not flowing with the real love of Jesus. They're flowing with more just about who we are and what we can get and how much importance I can get if I talk to that person, how much I can get if I say this or that, how much focus and attention. The Lord wants to uh, allow our lives and allow our lives to be full with friendships and relationships in the body that are blessing and that we can bless other people. We can bless those that have got better jobs than us. We can bless those that have got a family situation that is very different from us. We can bless those people. We can honor them and uh, bless them and the, they will honor and bless us back. And we don't need to always be thinking that we're the one that needs to draw in things because the Lord wants to keep blessing and strengthening us in many, many ways. And so this morning, um, as we're starting to touch into God's heart and perhaps some of these commandments are kind of starting to kind of become a bit more obvious of which ones the Lord is speaking to you, I want to think about one other commandment um, about the Sabbath and about finding the Sabbath and of taking hold of the Sabbath because I think that is a wonderful uh, commandment that is fitted in there um, amongst all the other commandments which I think can do us the world of good. So, um, Jesus says that um, the Sabbath is for man, okay? And so this commandment is placed within the ten in order to remind us that when we come to Jesus, there's a commandment to rest. And in his presence, there is a deep, deep rest. And for those of us that may feel some of those stirrings that I've been talking about regarding coveting, we have the commandment that is come into rest. Come into the place where Jesus is there for you. Come into that place where you're dropping everything before him and finding that there is a place in your life to receive. There is a place to know the gentle, humble heart of Jesus Christ. That commandment reminds us time and time again that as we're traveling into the heart of God, we will find rest for our souls, and he will remove all the heavy burdens where some of these commandments 
feel like burdens in our lives, the Lord says, actually, why don't you come and learn from me and listen to what I'm saying to you, and I will take those heavy burdens from you and give you rest. And so I'm going to just ask um, Kyla to come up now. Kyla's going to come up. This is my daughter. She's been out with youth, but she's returning early because I wanted um, Kyla just to read a few verses um, from Exodus. Oh, look, maybe if I do this, look, you can still... Oh, you could try this one. So Kyla's going to read um, a few verses from Exodus 20, but we didn't read them. Bruce didn't read them because we kind of stopped at verse 17. So Kyla's going to read two more verses that are going to help us to know how we can respond to these challenges. Go for it, Kyla. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, goats, and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile if you use it, if you use a tool on it. Wonderful. Lovely. So those two verses um, are describing an altar, two altars, that the Lord um, invites his people to start to make after these Ten Commandments have taken place. And I think this is no mistake that the Lord has been saying in the Ten Commandments, these are the things that you can't do, these things that um, you can't go near. And then he says, actually, um, don't make any idols before me, but instead start to make an altar. Um, and it says in Ephesians 4.28, it says that he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has in need. So that verse is kind of talking about all of our lives, not just about the stealing, for those of us who have stolen in the past. It's talking about having a whole lifestyle which is not about grabbing what you can, but actually using your hands in a way that is the kind of labor and the activity that the Lord wants you to have in your hands. And in this verse that Kyla read out, it's about making an altar. It's about fashioning something, using something to create an altar. And in uh, this picture, you will see that the altar that's being talked about in verse 24 is the altar of earth. That is the altar that's being created here. And there must be in God's heart the idea that let's start to not just think about and orientate our lives about all the things that we're not going to do, and stay away from, but let's use our hands and our activity and our spiritual endeavor to start to make something significant for the Lord. And in this verse, it's talking about the altar and making earth an altar. And as Roger has pointed out in his reflections on this verse, that the earth reminds us that we came from earth. Just like Adam came from the dust, we ourselves as human beings, we come from the dust. But the Lord Jesus also knows what it's like to be in the dirt because he came, um, didn't he, as a child. He came into humanity as a very small um, being. He came into Mary's womb and he started his life in the dirt amongst humanity. But he grew up to be the son of God that was to save the uh, world from its sins. And he was to become the great altar that we needed in our lives. And there is something in our lives that the Lord wants to create which is an altar before him that is significant for him. So actually that other people can come and like those verses in Ephesians 4.28, that actually we will have something to share with those that are in need. We are creating an altar together. That is Jesus Christ. He is the great altar in our lives. 
And we're creating that together. We're kind of with the earth, kind of molding and shaping it and fashioning it so that we're creating something that the Lord can come and his sacrifice can be seen. And people, other people can see from far and wide, can say, actually, this is the kind of life that this community of people are making together. They're not just out for their own interests. They're not out for that, but they're out for shaping and creating something wonderful, which looks like an altar and something that Jesus can come as the Lamb of God. He sits down there as the unblemished Lamb. And as he's sacrificed, we've created an altar for him that other people can be drawn into. They can see and they can experience. And then the other altar um, is this other altar, which is very different. There's no PowerPoint for it. But this other altar is, talks about an altar of stone, which is untouched and unhewn. So it hasn't been um, kind of cut to shape. It's just kind of been found and placed as an altar. And that gives a whole other kind of thinking about an altar in our lives. This is talking about the kind of life that Christ has, which is untouchable. It's talking about his resurrection life that nobody else can compare to and nobody else can shape and get hold of. It's just found by revelation and it occurs on the earth, just like you'd find a big stone that has kind of, you know, can be used as an altar, but you can't hack at it and, and hack it away. But actually, it's just there and it appears. And I'm sure as they read out the commandment, I'm sure they were thinking in their minds, we need to find that altar. We need to find the kind of stone that is going to be used as the altar, the one that we can't touch, the one that's kind of going to be there on the ground that can be used as an altar. They were thinking in their minds, we need to find that kind of stone. And for us this morning, we want to be sure that we can find the resurrection life of Jesus, which is another altar for us. It is an altar that we come to and we say, Lord, on your sacrifice, as you were dying for us, resurrection life is available. It's an altar that we can't shape with our own hands. We just have to receive it and find it and understand that the Lord Jesus has dropped it down from heaven and he's there as resurrection life that we can take hold of. And the reason I wanted to talk about those two altars is because I wanted to do a particular response this morning, which we're going to kind of change, we're going to add a few things in the room to help us to reflect on it in a moment. But I was thinking that the whole idea that we want to um, cleanse our hands this morning they want to cleanse our hands and also our hearts, our internal motivations of the things that sometimes mean that we try to make ourselves center stage of church life and center stage of our lives and say, Lord, actually, I just want to expose that whole area of my life to you. And the way that we're going to do it is we're just going to uh, wash our hands together if you would like to. So there's going to be some bowls kind of on tables with um, towels in the middle and there's going to be some just at the front here as well. And as we're worshiping together, you might feel actually... Lord, I just need to wash myself again in your presence. You might just say, you know, one or two of those commandments, I can feel them creeping back into my life. And Lord, I'm just going to wash my hands before they get any dirtier. I'm going to wash the dirt out from under the fingernails, the stung, kind of the stuff that sometimes gets stuck in my life. I'm going to wash it out because I want to have clean hands and therefore a pure heart so that I can be part of a company of people that is building an altar to Jesus in Forest Hill, is building, building an altar to Jesus in my workplace or in my family or in my friendship groups, I'm building an altar that other people can see and touch into and experience. And so if that is your response, it may not be your response, but if it is, then as we put out the, uh, the tables with the bowls of just normal water and some towels, 
um, you may just want to go and wash your hands, and then there'll be just a member of maybe one of the home group leaders or prayer planning. They'll just come, and, and they won't pray a long prayer. They'll just pray a prayer of blessing and, and peace upon your life, just like a sealing prayer over the internal commitments that you're making to Jesus. So there'll be a number of us doing that, but it'll kind of just be during the next song of worship, so you don't need to uh, feel like you need to rush to the front, or you don't need to feel that like you need to do it instantly. You can just be allowing the Holy Spirit just to point out where he wants you to um, be responding to. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to worship the Lord and respond as the Lord directs us. Lord Jesus. Lord, I just want to thank you so much, first of all, for your hands, Lord, the hands of kindness and healing that you touch each one of us with. And Lord, all of us in this room have touched into the healing power of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you've touched deep, deep into our lives already, Lord, that you've touched our identities and our spirits, Lord. You've moved in with your healing hands and you have transformed us beautifully and wonderfully, Lord. You're shaping us into the wonderful kind of people, Lord, that you want us to be. But Lord, we just want to take this moment to just expose any areas, Lord, where we know where we're fallen short, where we know that things have crept back in and we want to get rid of them again, things that have kind of been playing in our minds, things that we just want to say, Lord, this isn't who I am. This is not my identity. I'm not found in Christ in this way. I'm living for Jesus. If that's you and you want to respond, then please do as the tables and the bowls of water come out. You can just respond and say, Lord, cleanse my hands. I am here for you. I want to be the kind of person that can build your altars your way. Thank you. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I let your name.